Now we have a fun day or, or a, a good day planned today. Uh, that's our that's our prayer and our hope. So thank you, Pastor Luke, for those prayers. We're going to jump right into it this morning. We're in between sermon series, so we're going to have just a few uh, a few weeks where we um, where uh, we hit a couple different hit a couple different topics. We don't we typically preach in series here. So that messages are connected across a couple different weeks to help us create a little bit of continuity in our own minds and our own spirits. And sometimes we kind of break those things up and we hit maybe individual topics here and there. And that's kind of what these next uh, few weeks are going to be um, as we walk into the walk into the summer months. One of the main things that I would like you to hear, uh, what one of the main things that I think is important for you and for us to hear this morning uh, is this you you are not you are not a passive spectator in the mission of God to redeem all of creation you are not a passive spectator in the mission of God to redeem all things uh, when when you when you are in Christ, when you have believed by faith in Jesus Christ, when you would uh, when when you would uh, uh, call yourself or identify with the community with the Christian community, you you are an active participant in the mission of God to redeem the world, all of creation, all of humanity, all of the created world, you are an active participant in God's mission to make all things new. You you have a critical, God-identified and God-given part and place in his plan. God has called you to faith in Jesus Christ. He has made you a part of his family. He has adopted you as a son or as a daughter. He has in, he has enlisted you into the fulfillment of his plan for creation and he eagerly awaits and anticipates and I would say even expects that you will suit up, so to speak, to use the gifts that He has given you to get off the bench of passive spectator and into the game of active participant. Now it's... I understand, and I think many of us will understand that we... You, you may be coming from a place where faith for you in life, not, not all of you, but I know that some, some of us, right, that faith, that faith for us was communicated um, as something that you merely, um, you merely received, right? That you, you, are a, you are a recipient of, especially on uh, a Sunday morning, like when you, when you come into a, into a room like this or to a building like this, into a community like this, that, that, that you come, that you come to, that you come to receive. You, you show up on a Sunday morning, right? You might put your tithe in the, in the silver bucket back there, or maybe you give through the app. 
and, and now you're here to receive um, the, the spiritual products, right, that are due your, that are due you uh, because of your investment to be here and, and do the things that are necessary. And what I, what I want you to hear, right, is while um, I, I am honored, we are honored as leadership here, as pastors here, we, we are honored to be here in this place to, to kind of serve you in the, in, the, in the capacity of pastors, to, to serve you in the capacity that we do. We also want to be very clear that what we invite you to hear is not to strictly be a consumer of religious goods and services. That this is that 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 this community, this this place, this experience is not is not a is not a vending machine where you push the button to receive the product that is necessary to sustain you throughout until your until your next um, until your next meal. But rather, understand, it's my hopes, my prayer for us, for you, for all of us, but rather that we, we may come to an understanding that through, that through faith in Jesus Christ, God desires to use you to facilitate for others what someone, somewhere, at some time, facilitated for you. Because, because there is not a singular person in this room. I believe this to the very core of my being. There's not a singular person in this room that is not the product of someone's prayer for faith. Discipleship in faith. Invitation to just come to church. Uh, friendship that, that, that drew you into a community that, that proclaimed the Lordship of Jesus Christ and into relationship. Every single one of us. And that if, and that if you can for a moment pause, pause the noise, the white noise, right? The noise that that kind of exists in the background of our lives that keeps us distracted from these types of realities, pause the noise for a moment to hear it one more time, that through faith in Jesus Christ, God desires you, God desires to use you, to use you, yes, you, truly, because some of you are saying, like, well, God uses the mature people, right? God uses, he's certainly not talking to me, certainly not talking about me, right? Talking about someone else in the room, not me. But no, I'm, I, am, I am talking to you and about you. That God desires to use you to facilitate for others what someone somewhere at some time facilitated for you. And that's kind of what I would like to talk about this week and, and a little bit next week is how, is how you have a place 
in the mission of God to redeem all of creation. And if you have not stepped into the identity as a kingdom builder and creator, then now is the time to do so. My, my desire is to, to call you to call you down from or away from the proverbial spiritual bleachers of life and to call you down onto the field. To get into the game. Jesus actually said something um, pretty significant about the field. He called it, he called it a harvest field, right? And calling people out of the spiritual bleachers where all we do is watch the game rather than participate it. But what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, he said this. He said, he said, then he said to his disciples, uh, the, well, actually, it was even, even before, if we're going to be faithful to the context, Matthew chapter 9, let's say 35 through 38. Jesus went through all of the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, saw the crowds, the large number of people, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The world, the world that we live and it exists in now has never been more ripe for a spiritual harvest than it has ever it's been more it's more right now than it has ever been right. with increasing worldliness and wickedness right right the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ is increasingly and proportionately more powerful to call people out of darkness and away from sin and into the freedom that is offered in Jesus Christ. The harvest fields are more full of fruit, ready to be, ready to be picked for the glory of God. It is not, we do not live in a world that is continually godless. We live in a world that needs God more than they ever have. We don't have people to pick the fruit. We have abandoned our calling as participants in the mission of God to harvest that fruit, and instead we have subcontracted it out to religious and spiritual professionals so that they can do the job and we can watch from the bleachers. That is not the life that God has called us to as His people. That is not who we are. That is not who we ever have been as those who have been identified as the people of God. This is not a new idea. 
In fact, this idea is as old as the people of God is. It doesn't get any older. It's just sometimes a forgotten idea, not necessarily a new one. Because all the way back to the place where God called a people out of the world and unto himself, this was their purpose and plan. To be a part of integral participants in the work of him redeeming and blessing the world. To, to see the first pages of this plan, we go all the way back to the first pages of the Bible, right? The first pages of God's story. Genesis chapter 12, right? We see the beginning of this story. Now, of course, there are there's stuff that happens in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I'm not saying that's inconsequential, right? But we have things like Noah and the flood, right? Um, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the creation epic, right? All of these things that kind of set the basis for the brokenness of the world, right? Um, and then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and we see that, a, um, that God, approaches, God approaches a man. This is really, this is really like, we shouldn't, I, I don't think we can, um, we shouldn't skim over this idea that, that God doesn't approach a whole nation of people, right? God approaches a singular person. A person by the name of Abram, who later will be renamed Abraham by God, right? Um, and out of Abram, or out of Abraham, a whole nation of people comes that is given the responsibility to be a blessing to the world as God is a blessing to them. Not too, not so dissimilar how... how in Jesus Christ, right, through one man, those who are a part of his body or his family, through the one man, the whole becomes a blessing to the world through God. Right? The parallel between Abram and the nation of Israel and Jesus and the church remains the same. That through one man, God raises up a nation or a holy people to redeem the world back to himself. But in Genesis chapter 12, um, we see this. Verses 1, 2, and 3 says, The Lord had said to Abram, we don't, we don't know him before this. Just like out of nowhere, right? We don't know Abram before this. The Lord said to Abram, I want you to leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. So, so God says to Abram, um, <laughs> leave everything that, that you know. Everything that's familiar, everything that belongs to you, everything that you can put your hands on and touch, everything that you can have worked hard for, everything that you possess in yourself alone. Leave it all behind, and I want you to start moving. Abram's like, well, like, okay, Lord, well, where would you like me to go? 
And God's like, just go to the land that I will show you. Where is that? I'll show you. Well, how, like, what do you mean? What, what's the, what, what is the natural, like, uh, progression of that? Hey, Abram, start moving in the direction, right? I am with you. Do not worry. I will show you where to go. And then he gives them the qualifications of what's going to happen here. What is God going to do in, a, in, in Abram's life or for Abram or through Abram or however you want to put it? Verse 2, um, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Now, if we just put period at the end of the sentence right there, I'm like, sign me up for that subscription, okay? Seriously. Sign me up for that one. I will make you, Cameron, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I must be pretty special. There must be something, right? That Abram was like, there must be something significant about me that God has called me to be the special recipient of His blessing, a special recipient of His favor, a special recipient of His outpouring. Can you imagine how great and powerful I and my people am going to be? This is going to be fantastic. Um, and uh, it, I mean, like, it sounds like nothing, like, there's, there's, there's no downside to this at all, and, and really there's not. But listen, the blessing, the blessing of Abram was not a blessing for the purpose of showing Abram how much God preferred him over the people that he didn't bless. It wasn't like God was like, I'm going to single out Abram because he's more special than everyone else that I'm choosing not to bless, that I'm choosing not to call, that I'm choosing not to establish. The calling of Abraham, the blessing of Abram, was a blessing for the purpose of being responsible to do more with the blessing of God to other people than everyone else. It was a calling and a giftedness of responsibility, not of special treatment. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is almost like the, it echoes in, in, into eternity the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 when He said, hey, to whom much is given, what? Much is expected. Right? That the blessing that was given to Abram and then by virtue of that blessing, all of his descendants, a.k.a. the nation of Israel, yes, even today, right? the nation of Israel was that everything that they would be given 
would be given to them by God for the sole expressed purpose of them being responsible to be a conduit of blessing to the world. Out of this man, God called forth an entire people to be a conduit of His blessing to the whole earth. And so, all that they were given, all that they had, all that they were entrusted with was given to them so that they could in turn be the primary force for God's blessing to other to the other people of the world. I don't know about you, but like kind of stand and be like, "Wow. Whew, thank goodness I am not Jewish." <laughs> right? Thank goodness I'm not Jewish. I, if I were Jewish, if I were a descendant of Abram, if I were a part of the nation of Israel, I would have to think way differently about my time. Where I spend my time. I would have to think way differently about where I spend my resources. Where I use my talents and my gifts. What I do with my money. What I do with my, with my job and my life experience. If I, um, if I were Jewish and that was God's purpose and plan for me as a descendant of Abram, as a, as a part of the nation of Israel, then that would really, really put some pressure on me to change my perspective about how I show up in the world with what I have it would require a whole lot of responsibility for me to be obedient to and fulfill the purpose and plan for my life that was established by or for me by my Creator. Well, I'm not Jewish. I don't know if you are. I think probably most of you are not. But what I am is a Christian. Um, what, I, what I do have is, is faith in Jesus Christ. Through the grace of God, right? I have, I have placed my faith in Jesus and I have repented of my sins and I daily repent of my sins and I con, con, confess my brokenness to the Lord and, and through the grace of Jesus Christ, He has healed me, right? He has forgiven me. He has, he has set His mark of eternity on me through His Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing my future inheritance in Him. And I am, my, I am aimed for and targeted towards heaven and eternity with Him. Right? I'm a Christian. I'm not a Jew. Thank goodness. But that does not, whether you want to say unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. Unfortunately, my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior does not excuse me or give me a, a hall pass from the promise of God and the responsibility of God given to Abram and the Israelite people. It does not excuse any of us from the position of being those drafted into God's plan 
to bless and redeem the creation. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He said it to just about every church that he was in leadership over, right? But he said it to the Galatians. He said it like this. He said, he has, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, he has redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He has redeemed you and I, us Gentiles, right? Us non-Jews, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus Christ. That the, that the, that the same promise, the same, the same covenant made with Abraham, that, that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are now engrafted into that promise. That we are, we are a part of that promise. We are, we are not separated from it, but we are attached as an engrafted branch to the vine of Jesus Christ. More extensively, in, um, in his letter to the Ephesians, he says it like this. If you turn to Ephesians um, chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, he says this. Now, I want you to understand when you hear this, right? That Paul is referencing the dichotomy or the separation that exists between Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who have received Jesus Christ by faith, right? And Jewish people who are like... um, yeah, we have the promises of God through Abram and our ancestors, and we, and so that makes us, uh, and, and then Jesus was a Jew, and so we got like double up on the Gentiles who just had Jesus, right? We have, we have all of the law and the prophets, and we have Jesus. The Gentiles just have Jesus, and they barely have him. That was kind of the sentiment, right? And so Paul comes onto the scene and being like, uh, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, that's not the way it works, right? And he says this. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, he's talking to you and I, right? And called uncircumcised by those who call them the circumcision. Um, remember that, that at that time, Right when we were separated from Christ, when we didn't have Christ by faith, that at that time you were exclude, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. But now, he says, there was a time where you were as Gentiles separated from the covenant of promise that the Jews had, that Israel had. You were foreigners to it. You were aliens to it. You were not part of that covenant. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. 
So you are no longer far away from the covenants of promise that God made to the nation of Israel through Abraham and through the descendants. You, you were far once, but now through Jesus Christ, you've been, you've been brought near through His blood. For He Himself is our peace who has made the two one, Gentile and Jew, and has destroyed the barrier between them, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations that the Jews had. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, and thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and to peace to those of you who were near, Jews. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer, this is for us, right? Consequently, because Jesus went and did all of this, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The promises that were given, the responsibility that was laid before the people of the nation of Israel to go and be a blessing to the world. All of the responsibilities that go with those promises are now ours as well. We are no longer foreigners and aliens to the covenant promises of God or the responsibilities that come with them. We, we are now one family that Christ Jesus has brought together in one body with himself being the head, with himself being the chief cornerstone upon which we all stand with the common goal and common understanding that God has blessed us not just for our own good, so that we may be witnesses of his redeeming power to an unbelieving and broken world. One promise now. Well, what does this mean? <laughs> what it means is that we, you, me, us, that we, we, Not your pastor, your pastors, right? 
Not the spiritual professionals that you pay to do the job so that you can watch them and clap. <laughs> I mean, I've got to go that far. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But we, us, together as one body, have been set apart by God through our faith in Jesus Christ to be a blessing to the world around us. To carry with us everywhere that we go the fragrance of Christ, the Word says. The fragrance of Christ in all of the places we go, in all, uh, in all of the peer, with all of the people that we interact with, all of the words that we say, with all of the ways that we, that we handle and carry ourselves in the world, in our jobs, with our families, in our communities, everything that we do. Our purpose, listen. It is really, really, really popular to talk about what your purpose in life is. You just gotta find, you just gotta, you know, you just gotta define your own sense of purpose and goals and direction, you know, set your course, right? Maybe, you know, I, I don't know if it's not popular. I think it's pretty unpopular, right? Cause you just, you just say it, right? Um, and and the whole world will will scream in absolute um, in like in absolute defiance of the idea, right? Uh, that that your purpose is not your purpose. That that you exist, you do exist for a purpose, and you do have a purpose. But that purpose is that you would bring glory and honor. To God. That your purpose actually has nothing to do at the end goal about you. Just be true to yourself is a horrible plan. Horrible plan. Just follow your own heart will lead you to absolute destruction. Just believe whatever you want as long as you believe it sincerely will sincerely lead you to death permanently and eternally. We are not our own. You did not create you. You were, you were created on purpose by a creator who has a purpose for you. And that purpose is to reflect to him the glory and honor that he is due. So if you and I, if us, if we, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been set apart from the world to receive the gifts of God, and we have in Jesus Christ, have we not? Have we not received the gifts of God through Jesus Christ? The glory, the, the glory and blessing of forgiveness and mercy and grace? 
Have, have we not received the, the, the gift of God that is his spirit, his very presence that lives in us and dwells in us and is the very power of God for all life and faith and righteousness? Have we not received the blessing of God for what reason? So that we may be Christ to an unbelieving world. So that we may be a blessing to a world that knows him not and who continually at every turn hardens their heart one more notch, ramping it up with every day, every week, every month. So how, how then is the church, not just conduit, right? But that how then is the church, those who, those who are the community of faith in Jesus Christ, those who are, are the body of Christ, those who follow Jesus Christ, how are we a blessing in the world, to use the same language um, that was used in Genesis and elsewhere? Well, we could, I, I mean, I tell you, I could probably spend the rest of the year doing, like, talking about that week by by week by week i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to um, propose two major big ways right and then um, i think uh, i'm pretty sure next week we're going to talk we're going to we're going to talk maybe a little we're going to we're going to dig down a little bit deeper beneath the soil of a few of those okay to to come to an understanding of what it what it means for god to use the church but then what it means for God to use you as an individual person to be a blessing to others in the world because of your faith in Jesus, right? How, how does the church stand as a blessing to the world? Right. Well, have you, ever, have, you ever received, have you ever received a blessing um, that first appeared like a curse? What, yeah, some of you, some of you are afraid to admit it, right? Like, yeah, what, what I thought was for harm, what I thought was meant to destroy me, what I thought was judgment, what I thought was X, Y, or Z, now, with a little bit more perspective, I see it as a grace of God, as a mercy of God. I see it as the, as as the, um, as the gentle whisper of the Spirit to create healing in me. Sometimes maybe it wasn't the gentle whisper of the Spirit. Maybe, maybe it was the loud megaphone of the Spirit, right? That you were like, eh, it, it created angst, but on the other side of it, right, it's created healing and wholeness and blessing for you. You had those experiences before? Yeah, okay. Um, because sometimes when we talk about how can we be a blessing, we think only in, well, like, how can we be more nice? And I'm, listen, hear me, hear me really clearly, okay? Hear me really, really, really clearly. I am not telling you that the way to be a blessing to the world is to go out and be a jerk about your faith. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. 
Because sometimes we can take the pathway that God desires, but, but I guess the old adage, it's not necessarily what you say all the time. Sometimes it's also how you say it. Right? That, 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 that truth seasoned with, seasoned with salt that is draping and soaking in, in, in love is a lot different than truth that is communicated um, in a way that's, that, that is meant to be um, the display of, of anger and judgment. There is a distinctive difference. But I want to tell you this, how does the church become, how is the church a blessing to the world? The unapologetic, unapologetic proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and Lord alone. That there is freedom from bondage, darkness, disease, and death through him. And that God has a will that we should obey for the glory and benefit of our lives, and that will is found in his word. And that is a way in which the church is necessary to proclaim, but that an unbelieving, increasingly hard-hearted world will not receive as a blessing. but is an absolute necessity. This, is, this goes as the foundation for which Jesus Christ has established his church. In Matthew chapter 28, right? We talk a lot about the last words of Jesus. What are the last things that Jesus tells his people or tells his disciples before he leaves, he leaves earth? He ascends back into heaven. Those words are probably pretty important, right? Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which is what? He's like, hey, listen, if anyone ever has the authority to tell you what the next steps are, it's me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says. Better get there so I can read it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That there, was a, there is a proclamation about the way in which we are to live and our response to the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord, that brings life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the week in, at Pentecost, when we talked about the, the words of Jesus to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in Jamestown and in Chautauqua County and in Warren and in Warren County and in Western New York and everywhere to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. The primary way that the church is a blessing to an unbelieving, continually calloused world is the unapologetic preaching that Jesus Christ is still indeed Lord. And it is through Him and through Him alone that you will find 
that you will find healing. It is through Him and through Him alone that you will find freedom. It is through Him and through Him alone that you will find salvation. It is through Him and through Him alone that you have your purpose, you have your ground of being. Your life is found in Jesus Christ and is found nowhere else. The second way, I said this is a really a flyby understanding that we're going to be coming back to these things in the next few weeks. The second way that the church is a blessing to the world is through what has, I guess, um, classically been um, described as acts of service to the world. These would be things like Jesus described in uh, Matthew chapter 25 in the parable of the sheep and the goats, right? That the um, that that we be um, that that we be actively out of response of our faith in Jesus Christ meeting even the most basic needs of those that are proximal to us feeding the hungry clothing the naked serving others especially the poor James chapter 2 verses 4 through 17 we see James, the brother of Jesus, saying essentially the same thing. That, that, that faith that is not expressed in, the, in acts of service that meet the actual physical needs of those around us, but instead just offers spiritual placations like, hey, God bless you. Sorry you're hungry, but God bless you. Right? Is, is a faith that is lifeless and dead. You see, God has designed that some roles within the church and within the community are purposed towards um, towards the task of equipping the whole community at accomplishing the goals of both unapologetic preaching and acts of service. Meaning that that God God has a God has a, a established a program, so to speak, that some in the community among us would have specific gifts towards the specific tasks of equipping us all as a community towards the goal of preaching unapologetically and serving with acts of service those who are most needy among us. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, God has designed that some roles are, it was, it was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, to prepare, listen, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so we can, we can, we can see, like, even in the design of the early church, right, that, that there was this, like, hey, you're not paying the spiritual professionals to do the job for you. There are people among you with particular gifts to help equip you as a body to go out and build up the body of Christ. And so, recognize that there is no such thing as a 
passive spectator in the mission of God to redeem the world. There are only different levels of activity and different positions of purpose. Well, I don't have a purpose here. And I don't have a place here. And I don't really have anything that I like. Um, I'm just kind of one of those people that just like takes part and the mature among us and the called among us and the equipped among us, they do all of the work. That is an idea that we must reject wholeheartedly because it keeps you out of the game. It keeps you out of the... Not only does it keep you out of the game, you forfeit the eternal purpose that God has for you in Jesus Christ. You say no to the participation in God's active plan to redeem the world through you, a member of His church. Not only was this what Paul believed and preached about and wrote about in Ephesians chapter 4, it's the actual way that the early church, just after Pentecost, began to organize themselves as the church grew in Acts chapter 6, right? There was a dispute or a some kind of controversy because some of the widows in the church... Um, Women who had lost their husbands and were, were, were without, were, were without like a provision were being overlooked in the midst of the distribution of food. Some for good reasons, probably, and some for, for bad reasons. And so the apostles were like, brothers and sisters, this cannot happen. But we are in a place where God has called us to preach the word and to pray and to heal and cast out the sick. And so we need, other, we need to equip other people to take on this task, this avenue of task, and other people to take on this avenue of task and this avenue of task so that no needs get overlooked and everyone has an active role. And so they did that. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, you can see that. Uh, it's called the choosing of the seven. I'll let you read it there. And one of the main guys that come out of that was the man named Stephen, right? Who was later stoned for the proclamation, his unapologetic proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord above and among all. So, what my hope is and what my prayer um, what my prayer is this morning is that is that you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to take these truths and this reality um, deep down let it seep down into your very soul and let it and let it take root there so that you hear these words right that that, that, that you cannot be a passive spectator in the mission of God for the world. That, that through Jesus Christ, you have been set apart from the world to be an active participant in proclaiming the, the, in proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ to others 
and serving others with your whole heart, that God has that God has equipped you and that God has called you and that God has gifted you to grab on to that mission among and alongside all of us here so that through the glory and through the glory and power of God we can facilitate for others what had once been facilitated for us. I'm going to leave you with this, with this scripture and these kind of like questions that I'm going to start with next week. These questions. How can you, how can I fit specifically into God's plan to redeem the world? How has God equipped me? Well, God hasn't equipped me. I don't, I don't, he hasn't. I'm not there yet. Listen, the scripture is unequivocally clear, right? That calling unto Jesus Christ, God has equipped you in his spirit with gifts that he desires to use for the building up of his kingdom and for, the, for his glory. The first, in the epistle to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says this. He says, each one, each one of us should use whatever gift that they have received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You have been given gifts and abilities, and maybe you just see them as hard experiences that you've gone through, but it is in those hard experiences, right, that your, that your faith and your giftedness has been refined and developed and matured, and now you are not lacking anything as uh, as scripture says in, in that, in that specific area, and those things that you thought were meant to break you and almost did break you are now the foundation and the fertile soil that you will, that, that, that you will help, uh, use to, to help others who are going through similar things. That you will, that you will build them up, that you will support them, that you will serve them, that you will proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ in that situation, in their life, so that they do not lose hope, they do not become weary, that they do not walk away. Even the things we think have broken us actually usually are the very things that God has desired to use to build others up. It is a way in which God redeems the circumstances of our lives. He often redeems them in the fruit that they bring for others. Go in peace as a people called by God to be a blessing to others through the power of God that is in you through His Spirit. Conduit, you are loved. I hope you have a great week.